Welcome to another episode of Culture of Value. I am your host, Troy Shear. I am the CMO of Binary Automotive Solutions, Managing Director of Binary Marketing Solutions. And today we have with us a good friend of mine that I have known for some time, Laura Patterson, who is the president of Vision Edge Marketing. And we are going to talk about something that we, we hear a lot of people talking about, but you know, sometimes I think don't, they don't really know exactly what it means. So we're going to let Laura dig into what customer-centric <laughs> really means. What is a customer-centric culture? So I'll let you take it from there, Laura. Kind of introduce yourself a little bit, and then we will start. Basically, the uh, you know it was a great article that you had just posted that is going to be a great kind of guidepost for us here. So and I'll make sure that we uh, get your link out so other folks can take a look at this as well. All right. Thank you, Troy. It's really good to be able to have this conversation with you. I know this is a topic we both have a lot of passion about. Um, and so uh, I imagine it'll be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Uh, as per your request. So Vision Edge Marketing founded in 1999. So we're going to hit, uh, you know, we're in that second decade already. Gosh, time flies. Um, before that, I had a, what I would consider uh, a solid corporate career. Uh, starting in the mid-70s, going all the way up till starting this company, almost all of it in some way was customer-facing, whether that was in um, customer acquisition, customer retention, customer uh, success, customer service, customer marketing, all of it in one way or another uh, was around uh, and working with customers. So you, you have understood well, or tried to understand, at least to the best, people for a long time and kind of what their needs are as customers and those kind of things. Exactly, and, and uh, I really attribute my first job, the, the job, you know, where the government uh, was like on board with the fact that I was making money, <laughs> that job, uh, the, the man that I worked for in that job uh, who gave me uh, the role of customer relationship manager before CRM was an acronym for a platform, uh, my job was to work with existing customers and be sure that they were well taken care of, look for opportunities to expand share of wallet, uh, to expand uh, footprint uh, by potentially going, uh, you know, getting referrals to family members, for example, would be an example of footprint expansion. And I suspect that your audience, particularly your automotive audience, is often thinking about how to expand share of wallet and how to expand footprint, you know, not just sell the car, um, to, to the one family, but hopefully to other family members down the road, right? Um, to expand share of wallet, hopefully not just sell the car, but sell services. So I imagine that uh, they can relate to the idea. Completely. You know, and that's in a thing too with selling vehicles. It's not, that's not something that you're going to buy, you know, every other week where some of the, uh, you know, lower cost things that we have, we, we may replace annually or even sometimes things that just you know we need it every day like we look at food and things of that nature that you know that you're going to have to have every day so you really have to be from an automotive perspective really thinking about what can you do to develop a relationship with that customer to make sure that you're getting the most giving the most value and in the same time getting the most value back in in your dollars 
For sure. But I, I think it's, this is a relevant topic for anyone who is in business that has customers. <laughs> and, so Becky, and as you anyone that's in business, basically, is what you're saying. Yes, you and I know. And as Peter Drucker was so often said, the purpose of business is to create a customer. There is no business without customers. And so how we take care of them from the moment of the first encounter um, you know, it, it, a lot of companies uh, refer to the customer relationship, you know, from cradle to grave, right? This is the, that entire journey, not just the moment where they buy and we take their money, but the relationships that we have all the way till the end, whatever that end might be in that relationship. Um, that's important. And that, and that journey, that journey is made up of various interactions. And every one of those interactions is an opportunity, you know, to be customer centric. Uh, it's not just about marketing. It's about those interactions. But I, 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 so that was, it's kind of the question too, because I think a lot of times people think customer centric as a very narrow kind of thing where, yeah, we're, we're thinking about the customer. We want to make sure that they get, get the product that are, the product that they need or maybe the service, but they don't realize necessarily all of the things in the process and the buy-in that really has to come from every single person in that company. That it's not just the salesperson or the service manager or in the mechanic in the auto industry. There are all of those other people that are still touching that experience for the customer in one way or another. So can you give your definition of what customer centric really means? I know we've talked about this and then, We'll kind of go into what those, how you can really determine if you're customer centric or if you're just saying it. <laughs> well, customer centric really does mean that your focus is outside in and really understanding what customers need and want, their pains, their passions. And this is important in the B2C world, especially, which I know a lot of your listeners are in the B2C world. Uh, although buying a car is usually, you know, a pretty deliberate um, consultative type of sell, even, even those that are done online, there's a lot going on and the, the, you know, they're thinking that they've done their homework, yeah, they've done research, they've identified options, right? We've seen uh, some of the data through Cox Automotive and various other um, publications like that, that are talking about how it may be, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14 weeks from the time someone decides, hey, I'm in the market for a new vehicle or a pre-owned vehicle, but a different vehicle, I guess you should say. And the time that they actually make that final purchase. So there is a lot of time that is going by between that, you know, when you're thinking eight, 10, 12 weeks, there's a lot that you can do right. And yes. also a lot that you can do wrong. that can turn them off before they actually ever either create that um, purchase, you know, online digitally or start the purchase there and come in and, and make the final purchase. On yes, the unless, unless your car just act, you know, for whatever reason I had this happen, your car just stops working. <clears throat> and sadly, I really liked the car, but it had jumped the chain and was not repairable. In that instance, you kind of maybe make a more impulsive decision. By the way, you end up with more buyer regret that way, you know, buyer's remorse. Which we kind like of do time, have. Like, like, like the time that I uh, actually had to bring my vehicle in on the back of a tow truck to buy a new one because it just, it was done. Right. But for the most part, people, to your point, it is a journey. That there is a process. They are going through it. Um, in our family, it's 
could be years <laughs> between the conversation of thinking about a new car and what that might look like and the actual purchase. Lots of opportunities there. Um, so let, so be, being customer centric to your point that you said earlier, Troy, is the entire organization has to have a culture of being about from the customer. Um, we always talk about the, the very first encounter that a company has, that's your first impression. And, and whether that's on your website, the first encounter or in your showroom, uh, and that's the first person who says hello or some other encounter that you might have, that's that first impression and everything is set from then on, right? Much harder to try to retract and retrace that and fix that than it is to build on that. Mm -hmm. And so that first interaction and every interaction thereafter um, is an important part of the journey and defines how customer centric you're going to be, how hard or hard e how easy, how fast or how slow you your, your responsiveness, the, um, the reliability uh, that you bring to the table, all of these affect and are customer centric. So, you know, do you have to constantly fix something or did you forget something? You know, the details matter, right? I, we have this conversation internally a lot. Uh, details matter. We, we have our own challenges with details. Um, that happens to come when you have someone that's slightly dyslexic. You end up with more challenges on spelling sure. errors and things like that. So um, the point being, you have to be customer centric. Everybody in the organization needs to feel that they have the job of taking care of the customer. If they have to make a choice. So here's a good question I always ask someone. If you have to make a choice to uh, solve a customer problem or make it to a, an internal meeting, what do you decide to do? If you have to make a choice, right, on, uh, and you're willing to take a risk on fixing a problem that, versus, uh, that you know needs to be fixed versus telling someone, I've got to go get permission for that, so you're going to have to wait, that tells you something about the culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, these are all indicators on whether or not it's a culture of, of customer centricity or something else. Because when you're customer centric, your whole front line, your entire organization feels empowered to do the right thing, whatever that right thing might be. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away. I mean, there are, you know, you sure. get in a queue and you're going to have to wait your turn. This is the way life is. You do have to wait your turn. Well, but, yeah, and again, like you said, I mean, those are things that are just, it's, it's part of life that you have to understand that, you know, although we are impatient and think we are the most important thing that, you know, walks on the face of the earth, that there are still other people out there that, that have to be taken care of, that you can't, you know, as a customer can't be so selfish that you, you know, look at things. But, and again, with, with those kind of people that you may have, it's like, you're not going to be able to necessarily please them, but you got to figure out how do we handle a situation like that and do, do you see and this is kind of just a question that popped in my head as we're talking from a dealership standpoint is, is there something that a dealer principal or or gm could do to establish processes and kind of look at the various things that they see throughout you know obviously these people who are general managers and dealership principals it's not like this is their first week in the business so they've seen some of the things that happen with customers and they've seen it over, you know, for a long period of time to be able to establish almost a playbook for the various areas, whether it be, you know, the, the sales guys, the uh, sales manager service, F&I, you know, those places. 
that they can really lay out and go, okay, here's how we would expect you to handle these things, whatever those various situations could be, so that when something does occur, that the sales guy, the F&I, they, they don't have to run back and ask the manager, can I do this, can I do that, that it's already established and the processes are in place so that they can handle the situation right then and there and not have to make somebody wait. That's a really good question, and you're right. Um, it's important to have a playbook, and it is also means to have a good playbook, you really have to understand and map what is the experience of a customer through their journey. So you have mm -hmm. to take time and really say, what is the actual or several, there could be more than one path, but what is the, the path? Where do those encounters occur? Um, and then knowing what that path is, wh what is the ideal state? What is the current state? What is the ideal state? And how do we create that ideal state? So some examples, I'll just, and we will we'll use, I'll use some personal examples just so people can kind of think about how they, what would they have done? And mm -hmm. I'm going to pick things that are not inside their industry potentially, because sometimes it's easier to see something when it's not something that you live in every single day. Um, so I have a couple of, of positive examples and some other not so positive examples that I think people can relate to. And I'll just make them from my personal experience so that I'm not making them up. Cause okay. I, you know, I don't want to make something up and then people say, Oh, that doesn't sound real. So I'll, I'll give you some totally real examples, something really current and some things that are not so current. So I'm not so current, but still left a huge impression uh, on our family. We had a, a, a pet, a companion, a dog, uh, who passed away about a year ago, he, but he was 15. But when he was seven, he had a terrible situation occur and he was in dire straits health-wise. And we raced him off to our vet who had been his vet from the day he, we, we got him as a baby, you know, as a brand new puppy. Um, so he was seven years old. He had been with this vet for seven years already. And um, it turned out his, his name was Falcon, had a little IG, had a blood disorder that we didn't know about. And that was why he was in dire straits. And of course, as you can imagine, I was beside myself because it was life-threatening. And um, the, the doctor said he, need, he needs an immediate blood transfusion. Now, we all know that with people, you don't, you, a blood transfusion, you need to make sure you get the right blood and all of that. They right. don't actually, even though dogs do have different types of blood, um, he said, I need a few minutes. I need to go home and get my dog because I have no blood here in the, at the vet, here at the clinic. Let me go get my dog so I can bring my dog back. And he brought his own dog back and did a blood transfusion for our, for our puppy, which allowed him to live. Now, wow. think about that, right? That was pretty customer centric. Um, and, and Falcon lived another eight years. Uh, uh, so he, he wasn't going to make it through the day. If you're thinking about, you know, your customers and a customer calls you up and they met you at the dealership and they've got a problem with the car, all of a sudden they're stuck and they're stuck. Let's say they're stuck, you know, 45 miles from the dealership and I'm stuck. I don't know what went wrong. My car won't go. I'm out here. It's, the middle of the, the day uh, or mid middle of the night, whatever it is, I need help. Would you get in the car and go get them? Would you say, no problem, I'll call a tow company. I know somebody in the area that's reliable. What would you do? How would you help solve that problem? Or would you just say, 
call a tow company and, and leave them on their own, right? That's just sort of an example of how far no, would someone go? That is the key. And like you said there, it's taking that personal responsibility and really taking ownership of that customer and going, you know, and I, I realize, like you, like you said, there are things out there that certain dealerships will have, hey, you, you've got roadside assistance and those kind of things. But at the same time, if, if you as a individual or kind of, you know, it's like you said, especially middle of the night, if you're kind of panicked, you're a lady out there by yourself, it's not exactly the best place to be, you know, can, can you imagine if you did call up somebody or were able to reach your, especially your salesperson there at the dealership that sold you the car and they said, hang on, I, I will be there. I will make sure you're taken care of how far that would go to, you know, you as now you, they, they have you for life because of what they've, what they've done. It builds great credibility for the brand of the dealership because that's saying, wow, man, these people really do care. So now they've got you for life. But think about how many people you're going to tell about it. Exactly. And like it's like if I'm, if I'm known as, as a guy that, you know, my wife, my daughter, you know, I've got a 19-year-old daughter. I'm thinking, you know, I, I want to have somebody that's, that wants to take care of, you know, obviously because I can't be there 24-7. And if there's somebody in that place where you bought the car or, or whatever that is willing to go out of their way to do that, man, that, that's worth a lot of money to me. Yes. And, and so I'm going to tell a couple more stories because I think stories really help in this situation. And what we're really talking about are moments of truth, right? This is, that that's, I think, the important thing. You can say all day long, you pro provide a great customer experience. You're a customer-centric organization. You care about your customers. Customers are number one. You can say that all day long. But the rubber meets the road, if I can sure. use that metaphor in this instance, in what is known as a moment of truth. And um, uh, there's actually a book uh, called Moments of Truth. It was written uh, 30, 40 years ago by Carl uh, Zahn, C-A-R-L-Z-O-N. He was the CEO of SAS Airlines. And he basically said, any interaction with a customer or any event in which a customer uses or experiences a product becomes an opportunity for a moment of truth. And every employee inside a company is the keeper of the moment of truth. So I'm gonna give you a couple of examples and mm -hmm. I think they'll be uh, helpful uh, for anyone listening. Uh, again, personal examples. So a few years ago, uh, probably almost 10 years ago, uh, we switched insurance, health insurance companies, right? A lot of companies did. It's, it's you know, trying to find good insurance for your, for your people at an affordable rate with the right kind of coverage, people are always looking. So we've had a new insurance for this new insurance company, um, health insurance company. I want to be clear to separate that from like automobile insurance because um, that's a different scenario um, uh, for a number of years. And we, it has a, uh, on their invoice, it has a due date. Your bill, your your check is due on this date or your payment, however you pay, is due on this date. I'm, I'm sure most people see that when they get their invoices for their insurance every month, mm -hmm. right? Unless it's automatically taken out by the company and some people do, uh, do it through their payroll. Uh, so we receive this uh, invoice on when our payments are due and they're due on the 15th. <clears throat> and so our company, being a company that thinks about cash flow, like most companies, we don't it's due anytime between the 1st and the 15th, and we push that as far as we can push it, and we make sure that they receive their payment 
on or before the 15th, right? A few months ago, we started getting this uh, charge, uh, an additional fee for late payment. So I contacted them and said, you're telling me we have a late payment. I, are you not getting the checks you know, on, on the 15th or before? Well, yeah, they're coming on the 15th and, and, and so we're charging you a late fee for that. I said, but your invoice says on or before the 15th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so I said, okay, fine. We'll, we'll do, we'll fix that. So we sat down with, with our finance people and, and accounting people, and we've arranged for our payments to come on the, on the 12th, right? That gives them time to receive it. Uh, we know people in this environment are not always in the office. Time right. for them to get it out of their mail, time for them to process it, time for them to post it, Right. I recognize that that could be a problem in today's current situation. So in February, as many people know, and, and you know, we had the freeze. The deep right? freeze, yeah. The deep freeze. So our check was delivered on the 12th. But as you might remember, on the 15th, we had that terrible snowstorm. And our insurance company shut down their offices for a whole week. In fact, we know that because they sent a voicemail message saying, we hope you're all doing okay during this terrible freeze. We're here, we are not in the office, but if you have an emergency, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, one of those really nice messages about the fact that they care for their customer, right? Right. But I get a notice the following week for a late payment because it didn't post until the 22nd. So I sent them an email. I understand that it might not have posted to the 22nd because you all were not in the office, but according, and I, you know, sent a scan of the payment and the date and the delivery date. Cause we're tracking all that. Right. You, del you received it. You may not have gotten to your mailbox like the rest of us because of the freeze, but you received it on the 12th. Right. So here is an example of a company that really is not, paying attention no, to their process and their own process. And they're more about the, the money than they are about the customer and keeping the customer, it sounds like. Yes, and, and, and I get it. And we adjust it accordingly. But, uh, and, and so here's an uh, you know, extenuating circumstances. Maybe they should have thought, I wonder if it, you know, when did we actually get the, the payment? <laughs> when did we actually get it? Not when did we actually post it? Because I can't control when they choose to post it. I can't control when they actually open their envelope and post it and put it in their bank account. I can only control when I send it. I can't even control the postal service, but I can control sending it and I can, it's electronic. I can make sure the bank's system and I can work with the bank mm -hmm. to make sure it's sent in the right time frame. right? After that, I have no control. So that's an example of a process problem that, in my opinion, is not at the customer end. It's at the company end. And the, they're creating, uh, they're having a moment of truth issue. And I suspect it's not a moment of truth issue just with me. It's probably not just you're, our you're company. Not, so what you're, you're, you're not that special. They're doing it to everybody. <laughs> I'm not special, which makes you wonder, right? Well, but, you know, and when you say those things like that, too, it makes you think about just, you know, within the automotive industry, within service and stuff, you know, of, of those areas. One of the things that, you know, is, is so available right now and one of, the, one of the things that we, services that we provide is social listening, that, you know, all of that information. And like you said, if, if you know that there are problems and people are complaining that it, it is not just one person, 
And like you said, in a situation what you're saying is likely not just happening to you that, you know, as, as a business owner, CEO, president, you know, what, whatever that may be, dealer, principal, GM, it's okay. Understanding that there are problems and now developing, as you said, that process to make sure they don't continue. So let me tell you what their suggestion is for solving that problem. And it's an indication that they're not customer centric. The way that they suggest to solve the problem is to go on auto pay. We'll pull the money when we want to. Right? That is not gotcha. a customer centric solution. So that's why I'm sharing that with your, your, with your listeners, because I suspect many of them have come back and say, well, just go on auto pay and we'll just deduct the money when, when we decide to deduct the money. Right. Um, and, and then you don't have to worry about this kind of a problem, but that's not a customer centric solution. That's an internal convenience solution. Correct. Right? Okay. So that's another example. And I'm going to give you one more example that I think will be also consistent. Uh, and, and, and people in your industry can see how, um, how this might be transferable to, the, to their industry. So um, we have, like many companies, a firewall for our website. You know, we're a company. We have mm -hmm. a firewall. And five or six years ago, we went uh, with a particular company. I'm going to use names here because I think this is important. Sure. I've avoided names, but I think in this instance, I, I want to use a name because this is a really good example. We went with a really good, well-recommended uh, company, Securi. They're very reputable, really good. Know so of them, yep, been, yep. Yep, been a customer of theirs five years. Great company, solved problems, really good to work with, really good with their ticket support, great company. Well, we also host our website and have a bunch of other things like our SSL and our email and all of that through another company, which is another name that people know called GoDaddy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you may not know this, but not very long ago, GoDaddy bought Securi. They're one company. And this is why this is important because I know that there are companies and dealerships that have partnerships or relationships with others, right? So to consolidate things, when our renewal for security came up, rather than keeping it separate, we put that all under our GoDaddy account. So everything's all together. Well, the moment we did that, all kinds of things began to happen because security decided we were no longer a customer. But we are still a customer, right? This reminds me of my days when I was at Motorola and we distinguished green money from blue money. And let me explain to you what that is. Mm -hmm. When we would send product in and around inside the company, we might do internal chargebacks. But it's just the money inside the company moving from one bank account or one account to another account inside the same bank. There's no new money. It's just P&L Center X is getting right. P&L Center Y's money. Green money is the stuff that a customer gives you that goes into the bank. That's new money, right? Mm -hmm. We weren't new money. We were just blue money to GoDaddy and Securi. We were gonna renew that one way or the other. It didn't matter to me. What mattered to me is that I had continuous service. But the perception of these two companies and particularly of Securi was, well, you're not our customer anymore. But I am their customer because the people who solve my problem with the firewall are going to be the very same people that were solving the problem before. 
So when you think about that, again, your customers think about that, their internal process is their internal process. And it should be invisible. If you're a customer centric, it should be invisible to the customer. It should not matter to me. So all of a sudden, I'm going and dealing with security on, you know, being told ABC has to be done on your end with security before GoDaddy can go live. I shouldn't have to deal with that. Mm-mm. That's a GoDaddy issue. And GoDaddy then saying to me, okay, and then security said doing that and GoDaddy taking it on, but then having a, a ripple and then security telling me, well, we're, now you're no longer a customer for that ripple. You need to go to GoDaddy. This is, you know, think about that with your, as your, uh, whomever you are out there listening. Those are moments of truth. And you're going to end up on a show like this. <laughs> well, no, and, and like you said, I mean, it's as a customer, it's not, your, your internal problems are not my issue. You know, fix those things quietly. And like, as you said, it should be completely invisible. Take care of what you need to. Don't bring your issues and things and problems that you have to me. I'm the one paying, you know, as a customer, whoever that customer is, I'm paying to make sure that you have business, that you get to, you know, feed your family and all those things. Don't, don't bring that on me. I'm the one you, in all, all honesty, as, as the company, you need that customer far more than that customer needs you. Well, that's the case for most of us. And so if we think about back to your customers, or the primary customers that you're serving in the automotive dealership, I don't care if it's a service issue, a finance issue, a new uh, front end issue, a back end issue, these things are not, do not matter to me. I, I don't want to have them be something I have to think about, how you run your company. How you run your company doesn't matter to me as a customer. So if you make how you run your company an issue for me, you're no longer a customer-centric company. And Correct. you've missed a moment of truth. And that's the message here with this particular example. Um, and there are many wonderful examples of people who do go above and beyond and are excellent uh, examples of moments of truth. It's just well, that I, often- I can, for my, I can for myself tell you, you know, and I've, I've shared this with, with many, and obviously I'm not using names here, but there was a dealership where we, we bought a car for my daughter and two months into it, she hit the, the fun, you know, nails and screws or whatever is with all the construction here in the Dallas area and blew out both back tires. Now we oh, had wow. paid extra, extra for the, the tire, you know, all of the various things that you can get in F and I, we'd paid extra for it. I wanted to make sure if something happened, she could be taken care of quickly. So we called the uh, service department of the dealership where we purchased and they're like, well, it's, you know, it's three 30 in the afternoon. There's no way we're going to get her in today. I'm like, well, this is how she gets to school. You know, she would at the time was 17. And they're like, well, I don't know what to tell you. We can get her in in the morning. Like, well, again, she has to be at school in the morning. So I decided, okay, well, what are we going to do here? Called up another um, dealership of the same manufacturer. And the, oh, absolutely, get her in here right away. We will, you know, if, if we need to stay somebody needs to be here an extra half an hour, hour to get you taken care of. We'll make sure you're taken care of. And I'm like, so, so right there is just a perfect example of, you know, 
And, and the one dealership that kind of blew me off that we purchased the car from is one that really touts itself on being customer centric and caring and all of those things. And I'm like, you know, in it, what, what does it take to change those tires? I mean, once we had it there, I think we in and out in 20 minutes, you know, so it wasn't like this was a, a three hour, you know, job. And even if it was, why w wouldn't you want to keep that, that money coming in that, that you're getting there for that repair instead of it ta them taking it somewhere else. Absolutely. And now I will never go back to that other dealership again for any reason. So they, you know, in, in that moment of truth, they failed. That's right. And, and that is the message here is to really understand that those interactions. So I'm going to give one last story and then we'll talk about what people can do. And this is a really important story too. I was heading to the, I, I always park when I'm going uh, out of town, uh, flying out of town in the same parking lot and have for years and years and years. I'm a, I'm a member of this group, of this thing. It's Fast Park. They're national. I'm going to use their name again because uh, they, they do something really extraordinary. So I pull into my spot and um, I have an accident. I clip the front end of my car on one of those posts. I, I I don't know how it happened because I was totally paying attention, but I clipped the front end of my car uh, on one of those posts and it, it's not a small dent. It's a right. big boo-boo. And I, I have a plane to catch. And so um, I get out of the car and I am freaked out. And of course I get on the phone and I call my husband who's at, at a job site. He's in construction. There's nothing he can do. And what can he do? Right. Right. So I get on the bus to go to the airport and I uh, not, not quite sure what to do. So I call the fast park manager and say, I have a boo-boo with my car and leaving it in your lot. But it's it's a problem because it's not going to go anywhere. And I'm, I'm not really quite sure what to do. She says, no problem. Right. I've already gone through security now. I managed to get through security. I'm kind of at my gate. She calls me back and she says, you didn't leave your keys, because of course I didn't leave my keys uh, with us. If you will leave your keys with us, I'll arrange for it to be towed to wherever you want it to be towed so that it can begin the process of getting repaired. Wow. I know, remarkable. I'm like, okay. I said, well, what do I need to do? She goes, well, I'm sending the driver back around. Uh, if you can meet him out front of the airport, and give him your keys, that would be really helpful because otherwise Mark would have had to drive right. 30 miles oh. to get him keys. So I race back out of the airport. There's the driver, give her my car keys, go back through security, get on the car. And from then on, the manager and Mark take care of everything else that needs to be done to get the car out of the parking lot, parking uh, center, uh -huh. onto a tow tow truck she's taking care of all of that and sent over to another great company that did a great job right caliber collision which again another well-known firm mm -hmm. uh, organization here in texas who was right on top of it nobody worried about anything no nope. it was just i i was able to go and do what i needed to do and take care of my customer because somebody was making sure that uh, their customer was taken care of and to me, that was kind of, again, another example of moment of truth. It had nothing to do with their primary services of shuttling me to and from the airport 
of keeping my car, you know, safe. Really, this was pretty much, I would consider a, a step above and beyond. And there are lots of places to park in the, you know, there are many other options, but they really earned my loyalty through that process. And that, that was years ago. And, to, and, and you know, again, when you think the, about that, like you said, your it's what, what did it take, you know, for that person to make a few phone calls and do that thing. And, and it's like that, that the time. And again, I think ultimately everything we do in life is, as I said, we're in the people business and it's trying to figure out how can I make your life better and, and do something for you in the least amount of time so that you're not having to waste time because you don't get time back. We can make more money. We can't make more time. So it, it's all of those things. If you just think about your customer's time and, and how you can make sure that they are getting the most out of every minute of their life with you, they're willing to pay for it. Like I said, I'm, I'm willing to pay for it. If, if somebody's going to make my life easy and can give me an extra, you know, you give me an extra hour a day that I don't have to stress about something, man, I'm, I'm all about it. So that's, I would say, we'll, we'll look at, at, at this from the standpoint of, because I don't, well, it's going to cost a lot to sit down and do all that up front and make sure we've got all these processes in place. And, you know, those are always the excuses you hear, but you know, when we talk about value, culture of value here, well, what's the, the value of having a customer centric culture? Yeah. Well, obviously it makes a big difference, not only in the long-term customer lifetime value, right? Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to continue to buy from you. They're going to be loyal. They can become advocates or referrals for you, for you. Um, all kinds of really valuable things come from it. So before, I hope the stories are helpful. I, I find that for me, that when you can illustrate a concept, it's better um, and, and useful. To do this right, a company really has to identify every single touch point they have with a customer. And a touch point could be the you know, the website, the touch point could be social media, like a Facebook page. The touch point could be an email. It, a, a touch point could be an invoice or a statement. Um, a touch point could be self-help or community or an online chat. And it can be offline, all the in-person things that we're all hoping to get to, or even just telephone or Zoom or coming to an event. You know, a lot of dealerships have, you know, new car events. It could, you know, any of those kinds of things are touch points, really understanding every single touch point, putting them down on paper and understanding how they work in the process. And then looking at those that have, what's the satisfaction level with each of those? Where do you run into bumps and bruises, right? Um, on a regular basis for however you can find them out. You know, look for those squeaky wheels um, because that's going to be really the first place to begin making improvements. You want to know what you do really well because that's something that you can actually use as part of your brand, right, Troy? The Absolutely. things you do well, you can you can actually say, here's the five things that people love about, you know, their experience with us. But then collect and analyze the data so that you know how what is the customer experience for each one of those interactions and what, if anything, do you need to do to make them better? And even something that's good sometimes can be made better and then turned into a competitive advantage. Nothing exactly. like a, a moment of truth being a competitive advantage. And the thing is, you want to have performance targets. What is good, right? What is great? So that your, every employee understands what is good and what is great so that it's not ambiguous. 
So yes, we think it's great if you do X, Y, and Z with customers. It's good when you do A, B, and C. Anything that's not A, B, and C or X, Y, and Z is missing the mark. Exactly. <laughs> so make well, it clear. And I though. think one of the, the, the a phrase you just said there a minute is customer, your customer experience becomes your competitive advantage when you do those things. And especially in the automotive industry, and this is something we talk to our clients about too. I mean, you don't, there is no difference in the vehicle because, you know, if you're a Ford store, you get Ford sends the same Ford vehicles to every Ford, you know, Chrysler, Chevy, you know, what, whatever that brand is, your manufacturer is sending you the exact same vehicles that all of the other dealerships in your area have. So there's no real competitive advantage for you there. There's no real competitive advantage for you in financing or, or those kind of things because you're, I mean, it's, you know, price and all of that. I mean, in, unless you're willing to completely give away everything you have, there's, there's no competitive advantage in, in being the lowest price. So having those experiences and finding those places that you can be m more customer centric than your competitor, those are your competitive competitive advantages right there. Yes. And it's getting harder and harder, right? Because these dealers are not just competing with one another anymore. They're competing with the, the rooms and the Carvanas and who knows what else, the Teslas mm -hmm. out there that have no dealerships. Um, so they're competing with that. And then on the service side, they are competing with the Jiffy Lubes and the Quick Lubes. I mean, the, and all the other places you go to get repairs. So they face tremendous competition, tremendous competition. So what can they do? You know, um, can they do something about being more open when people uh, and options, for example, uh, and availability? Because that's the biggest challenge that most people have is getting to us, getting service when they're not at work themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Yet the service center is closed. <laughs> so. You know, and that's something I'm glad you brought that up because this was something I was actually thinking about this morning as, as I was kind of going over, you know, our what our conversation was going to be and wanted to bring this this point up so that you, you, you just segued into it perfectly for me. But I was I was thinking just that it's like, what can you do as a dealership to either can you go and, and pick up the vehicle and, and do those kind of things and bring it back if it's at work? Or, or is it worth as a dealership? Is it worth your, you know, is there value in? And I, again, I'm, I'm not on the inside of a dealership and understanding every little financial element of what they have going on. But from a customer standpoint, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, could you have as a service center, your hours be from 6 a.m. to, you know, 10 p.m. You know, that's, an, that's a 16-hour day, but you now have two, two shifts. Well, if you're doing that, number one, you're going to be able to hire hire more mechanics, which helps you say, "Hey, we're we're providing more jobs here than anybody else in town." Plus, you have now a, a an extremely wide area of time. So, hey, if I get off of work at five o'clock, well, I've still got five hours to go take care of things and, and get my car serviced. I don't have to break into my day and either take vacation time or or whatever to go get my car serviced. So, I was thinking about that from the service side. And then kind of on the same thing with the sales side, you know, what could you do as a dealership to have shifts so that those of us who, you know, work all day long and we need to, Hey, I would like to take a look at, you know, my new car purchase at nine or 10 o'clock at night and still have a true salesperson there. Somebody from that dealership, not just an answering service or something like that. 
what what could the value be to that dealership if they said, okay, we're going to implement this program? Yeah, it might cost a little bit up front to get things in place, but man, if if you're a dealership that I can come to, you know, basically, like I said, from 6 a.m. to 10, that gives me a lot of time to do those things I need to do. And I'm going, oh. okay. And as I said before, if if you can do those things, make my life easier and, and make things easier for me, I'll spend more here than the other place that closes at six that I have to go take off time from work, which is also taking my money away. You know, so it's it's I just think that those are the kind of things that if you're just being thinking outside of the box a little bit is where exactly. you can be more customer centric. Exactly. And, and, you know, maybe doing a test case, maybe you say, look, we can't, we're not going to do that five days a week out of the gate. So maybe you pick a Thursday or, a, or whatnot to, uh, to extend your hours and see if people want that. I mean, again, I think that's kind of an interesting example. Another, another thing is, again, my, my car is telling me I have 29 days uh, before it you know, left and I need an oil change. Right. What what a hassle. So the, the car dealership, they're, they're, they're not here. They're not close by. So to go to the car dealership is a 45 minute trek. Right. Get the oil changes time. Plus, I have to schedule it. Plus, I have to then drive back. So I'm, I'm not looking at a short thing compared to going to a Jiffy Lube, which is, you know, two miles down the street to get my oil changed. And uh 20 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. No appointment, just put my car there and I'm back. So I'm looking at a two hour effort versus a 30 to 45 minute effort. Big difference in time. Well, I don't expect the dealership to move their dealership, but are there ways where you know your customers do for an oil change and you call them up and say, we're going to be out in your area because I get these calls all the time from all kinds of other people. We're going to be out in your area with our mobile service station and we're going to be doing oil changes and we know your oil is due on X, Y, and Z. We're going to be in your area for three days uh, and we're going to be in the Home Depot lot or we're going to be at the school lot that they arranged for. Would you like to make an appointment to get your oil changed? Imagine, <laughs> right? You know, so this it, is really about of, process it, and that's an example of being customer centric. And it is a process. It is a, about looking at those touch points and it is a process. And while you're there, they may be looking at my tires and say, you know, we noticed that your tires are kind of an issue. Uh, so maybe they have a few other things in their mobile thing that says, okay, well, let's make it a, make sure that we get those tires. We're going to be back in three weeks to the area and we'll be sure to schedule an appointment for you to get tires because that saves them from losing that opportunity. I'm just using this as an example uh, but, to the NTB, are... which is also uh, two miles from the house, right? So if they want the work, they have to be thinking, again, to your point, outside the box, those are some examples, right? Because, uh, or, hey, we're going to do dinner hour service. Come hang out with us. We'll have dinner, pizza, whatever for you on, on Saturday afternoons. Bring your cars in or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't want to engineer solutions for them right now. No, no, I'm, I'm that's not, again, not what we're doing, but again, it's just throwing some of these ideas out. And that's where I is, is because one of the things that I had looked at too, this was last year when we were um, gathering some data for a, uh, a webinar that we were doing, but it talked about how dealerships 
are as a collective are losing $99 billion a year to the Jiffy Lubes and the NTBs and all of those yep. places. Yep. I mean, $99 billion is a lot of money. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I'm thinking, okay, well, how, what, what, <laughs> as a dealership, I would be thinking, what can I do to get, you know, okay. If I got to spend a little, but I'm, you know, again, if I, for every dollar I'm spending, I'm making 10 or 15 back, give me a loan so I can go, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do that all day long. And I think that's the thing that they've got, you know, you have to think about is not just the now what's going on at this very moment, but how does this impact, you know, a year down the road, five years down the road or whatever, because this is not going to change. I was just reading an article today talking about, you know, yeah, we had the COVID and all of that. And that may have um, sped up the time that some of these things are going to happen. But people, just like you said, it's our time. We have, you know, 24 hours in a day. And that time is worth money. And for every hour you waste of mine, you're wasting my money. And if, if there are ways that you can save time for me by coming to me, that shows how important I am as a customer that I'm not just an afterthought and a, a number and, you know, revenue generation for you. And that's all that I'm about. Yeah. Time is the most precious asset we all have. We cannot make more of it. We cannot store it. We can't get it back. It's the most precious asset every single person has. And so figuring out how to best, like, so back to examples. I mean, when I sit on a, on a hold line for an hour waiting for service from somebody and I get their little on hold message, you're important to us. Please, you know, please hang in there. Please hang on for an hour. <laughs> right. And I'm waiting an hour. I'm not a happy camper. When they say to me, we'll call you back, but they don't call back or they, you know, We'll call you, you know, put in your phone number and a time and we'll call you back, but they don't. That's a problem, right? Because now I'm back on the phone waiting for an hour. These are all examples of moments of truth and they apply in every company. When, uh, you, you've got a good point because my wife uh, used to work at Hilton in the customer care area. And it's like she said too, they had so few customer care representatives that people were sitting online for, like you said, for an hour on hold. And by the time they got to her, I mean, they were already pissed off just to the fact that they had to, had to wait. Yeah. And Absolutely. And again, how do, how do companies want to solve that? They want to solve that by online chat or they want to solve that with an online community, right? They want to solve it by you self-serving. And that works with some people. And there are a lot of people who do self-serve. Sure. But again, I, here's my thing. If I can't solve my own problem in 20 minutes, then self-serve is no good because I'm back Correct. to time again. So, uh, and that, that doesn't help you build a relationship with somebody. There's, that's not going to create a relation, a, a permanent relationship that you had good self-serve, right? Um, it, it is pretty fascinating to me. Some of the things that people think are going to solve a problem, but actually don't create a relationship. It might solve a problem, but isn't, aren't we in the business of building relationships with each other? Isn't that the notion of a customer? Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're not a customer. You're just a transaction. You're not a customer. Customers imply an ongoing relationship, right? Yeah, and I think that's something important for the auto, you know, automotive side of things to look at is making sure that they're not looking at things transactionally, but relationship-wise. Because that's where you have to have a strong relationship to get the true lifetime value from a customer. And if, if you do the right things, I mean, you think about how, how many thousands of dollars that you can generate in revenue by just having a good relationship with that customer and taking care of them. 
Yes. And even if they're not, you know, again, referrals are very valuable, especially in the automotive industry, right? Um, because that's, you know, whether that's I come back, you know, my sister-in-law comes back or my brother-in-law comes or my neighbor across the street, you know, because I had such a great experience or I really, you know, they liked the car, but where did I get it? These are, these, this is worth money. That's worth, that's worth, that's gold. Absolutely. And that's right. And, and too, with, with a, a referral like that, you have already established a, a mini relationship or, you know, with that prospect because now, and, and this is what I've seen from, from, you know, my years in the business, when we had a referral, you didn't have to do all of the dog and pony show and all of those kind of things. It was like, okay, I trust you. You try, let, let's get down to business. Let's figure out what you're going to do to help me because I know based upon how you've treated my friend and what I'm seeing about you in the reviews, you know, cause obviously those things get talked about too, all of your online reviews and those kind of things that says, okay, you've, you've established your trust with me from my friend, my, you know, coworker, whatever. And, and I, as I'm looking at all these reviews, you've already established some trust. So now I'm coming to you with less of a wall up in our transaction initially, and then being able to take that and to build it into a relationship. Yes, that's a really good point. Well, Troy, I hope the stories were helpful. I hope some of the recommendations were helpful. What else do you think would be helpful? I think it's great. And one of the things that I want to do, I, and I, again, I, I love reading your, your stuff. So you, you keep me, you know, I, I spend a couple hours every morning reading just to always be learning. And I love what you had in this article. To, it talks about determine whether your culture is customer centric. So I want to make sure we're, you know, we won't go into it, but I, it's, it's basically a check, not really a checklist, but a score type of a, a program where you can go, you know, score zero to five and then look at your total points at the end. But there's a lot of great, I mean, it's, you know, 20 different elements that, that a, a dealership or any company can, you know, from a leadership perspective could take a look at and go through here and go, okay, yeah, we say we are, but you know, let, let's go through here and, and be honest with ourselves. Are we really as customer centric as we think? So I want to make sure that just to let you know, I want to make sure that this goes, I'm going to add this to the, uh, as a link in our, uh, at the end of the podcast episode here and out, because I, I want people to be able to come to this and really see what, what you've got, because I think people will be, uh, it kind of makes you stop and think. And I think sometimes that that may just be an issue too, because, you know, again, leaders are busy. I get it. And if you can have some things that just make you stop and think a little bit that you can focus, I, I think this is a great tool. So I just wanted to share that I'm going to make sure that gets out there that we can uh, help. Like I said, this, my whole purpose here is to help in any way possible. And I think this is, is true value here to, to, and would be for a lot of folks. So I'm going to uh, share it as much as I possibly can. All right. Well, thank you for that. We do have a lot. I mean, it is a big part of our DNA as a company. So we do have a lot of content on our site. In addition to that checklist that are related to customer, if you go into our site and you type in at visionedgemarketing.com, customer or customer centric, you know, things will come up. We even have a, a customer focused uh, assessment also on the front page that you can get to. So we have a lot of different tools as well as content. Uh, and we invite anyone to come visit us. You don't. That's, you, that's what I, I was just saying our, right there. As, as your, your, your moment of truth right there is, is that, you know, you're, you're not trying to see how much you can squeeze out of somebody. Okay. Well, we're going to charge you 
20 bucks to get this or, you know, a, a nickel and diamond kind of thing. You're like, here we are. Let's provide as much value to as we can here because we, we know ultimately we're going to be able to develop a relationship with you. And all of this was just an investment in our long-term relationship. So I just think this is a, a great example of doing what you say in, in, in a moment of truth right here that you are customer centric with your clients as well. We try really hard. I'm sure we have our moments that we uh, flub yeah. up. <laughs> no we're, one's we're all perfect. Human, and I, I think that's the thing is we got to realize we're all human and, and be forgiving that, you know, with anything, there are going to be issues and mistakes are made. That's just life. We're, we're, it's really then how do you deal with that mistake once you, once exactly. it's there. And I think that's really one of the things that highlights to the customer centricity of what you are. And we're, we're, we're human people. That's God knows I, think, I screw up. I think the bottom line message time. to every employee that is do the right thing by the customer and no one's going to get fired if they do the right thing. Now, the obviously doing the right thing is not giving away a car. That's right. not well, the right thing, no. <laughs> right? Uh, nobody, yeah, and again, and like any said, customer that might expect that is not a good customer. No. Uh, <laughs> but if you just make, if you're just thinking about if it were me, what would the right thing be? what would be a realistic expectation. And sometimes you may not even know, and you know what? It's okay to ask, what could I do right now that would be helpful to you? What's the thing that would be the most beneficial or helpful for you that would solve, help you solve this problem? It's just a nice question to ask. What's wrong with asking? You know what? And that's, that's really funny that this, that you, that, how everything that I've seen over with this podcast over the last few months it, or starts tying together, but right there, I have a gentleman that's going to be on here uh, next month and he's actually got a book out. It says great leaders ask questions. And it's like that just perfectly ties in. It's like, you're, you're not going to hurt anything by asking the question and, and digging a little bit and going, how can I help you? What, what is the problem? How, let's, let's talk about this and create that conversation. I think that's what is lacking a lot. And maybe that comes from all of the digital technology and things of, of that nature but we've got to be able to, again, it's, it's humans doing business, ask questions and be realistic in things. But, you know, don't be afraid to, to think about what you can do to help somebody. Exactly. And that, I think, is a good wrap up. We can, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of country western music. And you and I know that I think you and I have talked about that before. And I, I always I like McGraw's uh, song, Always Be Humble and Kind. There you go. Well, I, I think we, n nothing more can be said to, to make things any better. So we'll, we'll end on that. Laura, thank you so much for being a guest on Culture of Value. And I, like I said, I'll make sure to get these things out and look forward to talking with you again. And as you know, you, you can always rest assured that I'm, I'm reading your stuff and, and always thinking about you and what I can do to, to help you because I just, I know who you are as a person and what you've got going. So Thank you. Have a, an awesome rest of your day, and we will talk again soon. Thank you, Troy. Take care.